Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Can you hear me on the phone? I do. I've got you coming out of every orifice. <laughs> I'm really not. You're breaking off quite badly. Hello, and welcome to The Lock-In where I finally get to talk to people I want to hear from in a place I want to be, the pub. For some reason, this bloody thing has started playing back some rubbish. Oh, right. Where were we? I forgot. I have two. We're locked in today, well actually we're not locked in because it's not allowed, with a man of song. The first we've had on this podcast, we're going to talk about that magical bird, the nightingale. Now you may recall John Keats's ode and the lines, Now more than ever seems it rich to die, to cease upon the midnight with no pain, while thou art pouring forth thy soul abroad in such ecstasy. Still wouldst thou sing, and I have ears in vain to thy high requiem become a sod. Now, Sam Lee is a folk singer and a conservationist, and he loves nightingales. I've only heard them a couple of times, but it is a magical song, so we know what they're like. Let's listen before we talk. Is this my cue to start playing nightingale? Yes. Uh, yes, please. Uh, I, yeah, I'm racing through. Uh, here we are. Sam, what's so special about that song? Well, it's one of the oldest songs in the land. Um, the nightingales are a bird that have been singing the springtime in for thousands of years, and um, I think have been a very uh, important part of that of our human uh, recognition that we have survived the winter and the spring has come, and have found their place in our culture and our society as a as a, a very important bird of, of hope, of 
joy of sexual pursuit all sorts of things it's the nice girl has become associated with so it's about this time of year you can hear them well around april the 14th the first ones will start landing 12th 13th 14th from sub-saharan africa where they winter it's a heck of a long journey that isn't it uh, in, enormous and for such a tiny bird i mean they're not alone as being migrants on that journey but uh to think that such a tiny little bit of muscle and feather can do all that way but the only ones that i know that make a similar length journey are um ospreys and that sort of thing and they're enormous well, absolutely. I mean, it's it's quite amazing how many of our little songbirds you look at. You listen right now. It's it's mid March, early March, and there's a a nice smattering of our resident wintering songbirds. But then the black caps and the cuckoos and all sorts arrive. The Swiss from South Africa. So millions and millions of birds are flying their way right right this moment towards our shores. And so the nightingale kind of reminds us that it's spring and. The end of lockdown is here pretty shortly. <laughs> if only the first song of the Nightingale in 2021 marked the day we can go and kiss our neighbours. If only, alas not. <laughs> is it just that, though? I mean, or is there something special about this song? I've, I've only heard them a couple of times. Well, what did it do, do for you, Jeremy, when you first heard them? What did it feel like? Well, the funny thing was, it was evening. And normally, if you want to listen to birds, you've got to get out first thing in the morning. So that was the first thing that caught my attention. And then I was I was actually mesmerised because it's so small and such a penetrating noise. Yeah, they're astoundingly loud. You can hear them from a mile away. And and when they sing in, in that sort of dead of night silence, there's something so singular and uh, like a, like a true artist in their auditorium with the lights down and the audience um, hushed reverentially. They they command a real listening. And I always say their their decoration of the silence of the night is so masterful. Now, my producer is a Yorkshireman. So apart from being miserable, I'm a Yorkshireman too, so I'm miserable. But um, <laughs> he says he's never heard one. Are there some parts of the country you can't hear them? Well, alas, um, ever more so today. They were once in their hundreds of thousands across the southeast of England, but below that line from the Wash to the Humber estuary. So they would have been just out. There are still one or two up up that way, but um, they're going extinct so fast in this country. Um, We expect them to be gone within the next 30 to 40 years from these shores. Why are they going extinct? Um, it's a multitude of issues and it's happening across the board to so many different um, birds, songbirds. Um, they're not the only one. It's through a, a multitude of issues of habitat loss due to intensified agricultural practices and deer, enormous amounts of muntjac and, and, and herds of deer that are eating their habitat unchecked. Insect collapse, um, changes in land usage land usage in sub-saharan africa so many things that are eating away at their place in the in the in our ecosystem 
Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, you're very lucky if you heard one in, in, in Ladbroke area. That's, um, I, I have once heard one in Peckham. Um, they're generally just passing through um, if they are, because sadly, Britain has such an obsessiveness with tidiness in our gardens and that actually the environment that nightingales love, that messy scrub, which is so rich a habitat for so many species, see, is seemingly unappealing and, and bad for nature by uh, many people's uh, kind of misinformation. Um, you look comparatively somewhere like Berlin, which has a really brilliant kind of way of reckoning with nature and allowing it to be very wild and free. And Berlin is dripping in the birds. They sit on the top of lampposts and, and sort of traffic posts and sing away through the night. So we could have them in much higher numbers here, but we just don't. They don't mind urban environments then? No, not at all. They just they just want good blackthorn, hawthorn scrub, me messy margins, thick, dense hedges. They don't care if there's a motorway next to it. Um, it's it's amazing. I remember being outside the uh, the, um, the um, right outside the Reichstag. There's dozens of nightingales singing away right next to the seat of you know of power in central Berlin. Imagine that in Parliament Square. No, it's just a flat bit of muddy grass, um, you know, because we're... I don't think us Brits have the imagination of how to look at our margins and natural spaces to really imagine how they could be vibrant habitats. Do you think a nightingale ever did sing in Berkeley Square? God, hundreds of them. You know, before, before they, you know had congestion zones and all that sort of thing yeah sure L london was is still a very green city let's not i love this my it's my home and i'm very proud of it and there's loads of green space but once upon a time it was fields and villages and full of birds like nightingales and cuckoos is it only the males that sing it is only the males that have the night song that um that I'm so in love with and we are so aware of. The females do have calls and protective calls and alarm calls and will do certain sound making gestures, but not like that song that we we hear at night. That song is trying to attract a mate, is it? Yeah, yeah. So as the, the males arrive first and as the females fly in by night, as most migrating birds do, they fly at night, it's safer and... Um, they're singing really upwards and around to attract the females down. How long do they couple for? Well, a lucky male can uh, fertilize more than one female in a season, um, so they're not they're not true to each other. So, mo the let's be realistic: the majority of males don't mate at all. Uh, so the ones we hear singing in late May and early June are the are the unlucky chaps who didn't get it on, and may may never do. Um, but but they you know in the continent there'll be two uh, clutches throughout the the summer, so that some lucky ones will yeah do very well. They're not like swans, which, which allegedly mate for life. N no, 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 alas, not, and probably a good thing in that domain being so small and edible why do you think it's such a romantic bird then 
Well, I've pondered this lots and it's incredible looking at the the literature, the poetry like you, you shared and not just from the UK, but across Europe and the Near East and all across the Northern Hemisphere. There's so much celebration of the bird. And I think it, I think the bird, by, by the nature of the time he sings in the kind of excitement of the night at a time of year that is full of um yeah fecundity let's say that they've sort of found that wonderful place where we're all feeling a little bit flirtatious and um and maybe represent that you know I, I I like to imagine that once upon a time you know young lovers in villages would sneak off to court one another quite illicitly you know pre-marriage and the only way they'd find each other was by arranging to meet up where a nightingale would be singing in a in a sh- thicket somewhere because it's the sort of audio beacon. So I think I like to think that they'd be kind of tempt youngsters out to go and roll around in the hay um, and obviously cover the squeals of delight by singing so loudly. <laughs> <laughs> Why do humans, do you think, imitate the nightingale's song? They do in some versions, don't they? Yeah, well, we we have a history in the UK through Beatrice Harrison, who was really the the reason how I got into creating uh, these concerts with nightingales. Um, And all across the Northern Hemisphere, there are artists, musicians, traditional musicians, and classical, particularly in the Afghanistani and Persian uh, uh, traditions, of playing with the birds, improvising, mostly improvising, and um, because they have a great musicality and they love the sound of human music and collaborate. They have this responsiveness that's unbelievable for a wild creature to to start to adapt their song and come into unison and rhythmic play. It's, it's, quite, it's quite extraordinary hearing them. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you wanna tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
When was Beatrice Harrison active? Well, she was one of those kind of great characters of the of the early 20s, 30s, um, a real kind of pioneering libertarian and very colourful career and, and, uh, and company that she kept. But in 1924, she made this famous uh, and daring feat of convincing the BBC to, uh, and any radio to, for the first time, to step outside the studio and b- live broadcast from outdoors. And she did that with the help of the Nightingale. It was the lure for um, uh, the wreath, the, the then sort of controller of the BBC, convince him to let her do this crazy act of playing with a bird. Um, so she did it, 1924 was the first one, May the 19th, and then it repeated years after with her playing with the bird. It became a very celebrated national event, listened globally, or, you know. What instrument did she play? She was the cellist. Um, she was um, she was Elgar's muse, um, and that was the, and she was out there. She played Dvorak and um, some Irish traditional uh, um, songs and all sorts of things. We only have a few recordings, sadly, remaining. But I bet but, you've um, listened to them, haven't you? Oh, indeed, many times. Uh, I, I, I with the great privilege of making a 90th anniversary sort of documentary celebrating that for for the BBC back in 2014 that brought those recordings sort of out of the archives. And do you find them impressive? They're they're sort of wax cylinder recordings, which as a folk singer, I'm well used to listening to that sort of very pixelated and, and thin, but magical, ancient, nostalgic sound. So they are. Um, I What I would say is there's something very robust about them. Um, I'm far more attracted to some of the recordings of Greek Iperian musicians who are wild and, you know, kind of daring in their playing and their styles and their traditional ornamentation that I think is far more influenced by the Nightingale. She's very classically minded and doesn't necessarily adapt too much, but it's still a wonderful collaboration. Have you heard Greeks going out with their pipes and and, and, and playing with with uh, nightingales I, I have I've, I was very lucky that I've did some field work and documentary making for the BBC um, on Radio 4 s- celebrating what is the oldest music in Europe that particularly that mountain music of the Epirus mountains and they have a ancient tradition of singing about and playing with the nightingales and actually a, a training of the young musicians to go and learn those techniques because they're all shepherding communities so they lived outdoors and they lived listening to the nightingales and they practiced their violin and pipes and flutes and um, clarinets in accordance with the bird. What can you learn from a bird? I think you can learn the whole world in a bird song. Um, the nightingale is, a, I think, one of the, f- the finest examples of world-class musicianship that understanding of decoration space the mastery of silence the um the ability to improvise and never repeat yet also hold motif and and mystery the 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 singing of mystery that is so powerful within the nightingale song 
And the song changes as the bird gets older, apparently. Yeah, yeah, they learn their songs. A young singer will will not yet have found his uh, repertoire. And the birds teach each other, and birds will learn from other males nearby. And as they get older, their repertoire will grow, but also they're focusing on one or two particular songs that they know works for um, attracting the females becomes more affirmed. So you can age a bird by their styles and, and the, the repeated leitmotifs that they employ. When you go out looking for them, have you actually heard them te te teaching each other? It's a really beautiful thing. So I, 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 it does happen occasionally in places where I go. I, so I run these concerts and I bring artists and audiences out to list to play and, and listen uh, throughout the spring and if we're lucky we'll have two males nearby and you can hear a set of call and responses and if there's several of them they will pass a song round so the one will sing and they'll be repeat that motif or will be repeat across the birds and you can hear who who are the characters the dominant characters the leaders the responders the collaborators there's many different personalities in nightingales so indeed yeah and you will have the amazing moments where uh, they'll all be singing backwards and forwards and then all of a sudden as though uh, pre-prepared they will all land on one song in total unison in exactly the same key totally psychically there's no way that they knew or was any uh indication and there they will sing that one song together it's mind-blowing when that happens that must be fantastic yeah it's quite a treat and audiences think i'm faking it most of the time they think that i've you know put speakers in in the trees because it's so unbelievable firstly the volume the loudness of these birds and uh yeah and they're knowing this while where singing. have you heard that so a few of my favourite places are a secret location in Sussex where I go every every year um, down near Lewis. Um, the birds in Fingering Ho Wick um, Wildlife Trust site is a particularly profound community of about 30 plus males. A real kind of, it's like being in the Congo rainforest there. It's so many and it's so loud. Um, and um, yeah, all, it's very easy to find where they lived. Looking particularly the RSPB sites will say whether they have them in the southeast, around Sussex, Kent, and Essex and Suffolk. But the males aren't aggressive towards one another. They don't try to drive off other males. Not so much. There's they say there are three personalities. There's the uh, the collaborators that really like to play with each other. Then there's the, the real disruptors who actually try and sing out the other was, others. There will be a little bit of physical rivalry if one tries to land on the other's turf. They'll fight them out, but they're not as aggressive as a robin, let's say, that could tear another male to pieces, um, feather from skin. Um, but then there's the third nightingale personality that's the ones that sing on irregardless of what the other males are doing. They just don't care. They'll just do their own thing. Um, so there's some real, you can really kind of spot the different types of bird. The thing that shines through in this book is, is the wonderful enthusiasm you have for birds, and particularly the nightingale. What is it about the nightingale that attracted you so much? 
I, I, I'll admit that I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a birder. I'm not an ornithologist. I'm pretty crap at recognising one little brown job from another. Um, I'm, I'm attracted to the worlds of these birds and the way they sit within the ecosystem, but within our culture as a, as a folk singer and somebody who's sung about nightingales for years and years, you know, within so many of our beautiful traditional repertoire that goes back centuries, if not millennia in this country, to then suddenly see how this bird connects in with our ancient way of, uh, of connecting, being present and being part of nature and how much they represent an extraordinary love that has been lost. How many people know the name, but never heard the bird and they offer an opportunity for us to really return back to a very ancient way of adoring and revering um, the, our natural world and being able to treasure it more and understand the threats that are affecting its, its swift demise right now, particularly in the UK. Do you think we rush around too much generally? I mean, sure we do. And has not the... The, the singular unified response from COVID been that people have stopped and started hearing the birds and how reassuring and healing that can be. There's a great, there's a great power of, of, of healing that can be received from birds. They've been part of our audio soundscape all throughout our evolution. And I think our rushing around has um, stopped us from listening and listening to the things that really value things you can't count but actually do count um, birdsong is so much a symbol of that you say birdsong generally but the nightingale's song is more complex isn't it indeed and that's a you know a very acquired and you know sort of rarefied t song that you have to go on a special journey to listen to it's not like the blackbird or the robin or the song thrush that are relatively ubiquitous. Listening to a thrush or a robin or a blackbird does make you feel happy, doesn't it? <laughs> Makes me feel happy anyway. I should hope so, yeah. But why, why is the nightingale more, more complex? Well, the nightingale is a... It has one of the highest repertoires of sound and, and song uh, motifs of any bird in the world. Um, so it's a very complex. And also, what you don't do is lie on a some you know on a on a meadow bank and listen to the nightingale. You can do they sing during the day, but it's confused in with many of the other bird songs. There's a very particular quality of listening that one goes into with the nightingale, which is very meditative and quite quite kind of ceremonial in a way it's a very deep focused listening whereas the song thrush the blackbird one can embrace it as a kind of like a summer cocktail of just delicious sweetness and it's a it's a very the blackbird particularly a very major key very uplifting declarative positive song the nightingale is more complex and nuanced in that way do you think it's more conducive to poetry? I'm going to be controversial and say no, absolutely not. I, I think every bird song offers something to, uh, to, the, to the writers as a point of 
reference and expression. I think it's the Nightingale has obviously been singular and and maybe quite um, principal in in his role as muse for poets and writers because for the obvious reasons I've mentioned. But I don't think they should be singled out. Um, there's a great tradition that is obviously self-fueled. Every poet feels the obligation to tackle the nightingale in song one way or another. Um, you know, it's part of the canon. But I don't think we should depend on that, particularly if we're going to lose them from a land, you know, within the next generation. I think we need to start to use all bird song as a as as a, having a story or something to say is that a serious possibility that sooner sooner rather than later people will not have the opportunity to hear a nightingale at all yeah as tragic as it is to say it's an inevitability um at the rate of our nature decline in the uk and the, the way our treatment of our land and our dare i say our government's incapability of really seeing nature as a vital thing to, for us to protect um, they are going to be the sad first losers of um, in, eco ecological collapse and it sounds big and bombastic and sort of scaremongering but it's a simple fact of what happens when species that need very unique specialized habitats that are simply not being protective or or fostered and and dangerously removed we have a nature decline rate of about 13% a year which is faster than um anywhere else in Europe and we have a higher rate of deforestation in this country more so than Brazil or Southeast Asia which we see as the big climate you know uh crime mongers so we've um we are we are probably one of the worst in the world of caring for our environment and the nightingale is the canary in the mine of that they are the first to go but they are the they are foretelling what's going to happen to many other species we least expected it to god it's depressing talking to you so it should be but i hope uplifting as well the thing is jeremy is that what we have is this amazing conundrum that we have a great tragic loss and you know potential devastation but it's also an opportunity for us to actually start to fall back in love with something that we've lost connection with that would make our lives so much more wonderful and on an economic boring level actually you know if we were to invest in new habitats and restoration and uh, creating opportunities for nature and for humans to be in nature we could have such a more beautiful country and accessible to everyone who wants to access it, not just the privileged few. But isn't it a choice between human beings benefiting and birds and animals benefiting? No, not at all, not at all. I mean, we have this idea that we need to farm to the very margins and milk every cow dry and stuff it full of soybean from the Amazon if we're going to, you know, have our lattes. But it's nonsense. We could we could have we've got so much more land than we need to farm what we need to eat to leave so much more space that could be used for recreation and enjoyment so we don't have to fly off to other countries to go and have wonderful wild experiences we have it all here we just need to put the time and care into letting it be 
plant more trees, leave more spaces to go wild and remove fences and allow people to access nature and appreciate it. It's the, the opportunity for a more beautiful way of life is there and for there to be more nightingales in it and more people spending their evenings with a lover or their family members going off to listen to these birds as part of a common practice. Call me a romantic. <laughs> I do, I call you would... a folk singer, in fact. <laughs> what do you know? I be- I'm a believer in a better future than what we have right now coming. Well, good luck. <laughs> Thanks very Thank much, you. Sam. You're with me. I am with you, actually. I am with you, but I feel, I always feel slightly guilty about it. I don't know why. As if I'm depriving others for the benefit of uh, what is, let's face it, a luxury for the few. Mm-hmm. And it tre- should be a treasury for all. Well, I don't feel guilty appreciate what you have and find ways of sharing what it is you have with others or supporting it i'm sure you do yeah i'll try (laughs) well sam thanks very much indeed a pleasure well i look forward to hearing the edit well there you are sam lee troubadour and disciple of the nightingale as he mentioned they've just landed in the uk in the last week So if you're keen to get out and listen to them, now is your moment. Seems a fine way to end the lockdown. Next week I'm talking to Con Igledon, author of sweeping works of historical fiction covering ancient Greece, Mongolia, Rome and more. In the meantime, enjoy the sunshine and the pub gardens.